You are listening to The Arrived Podcast, episode number 25. Hey gents, this is Bethany Reed Peterson of Atelier Reed, and you are listening to Arrived, the podcast dedicated to helping single guys bring their A-game home. In the show, we're going to deep dive and get real on how you guys can better host your mates, impress your dates, and crush your goals, all by making simple changes to your space and your habits. So if you want to come home knowing you've arrived, join me. Are you ready, gents? Let's do this. Hey, gents, how is everyone doing in quarantine? Have I got a very special episode for you guys. One of the biggest questions that I get asked when I work with guys on my hustler consult is how they can store their shoes. I have to admit, I've always thought that women were the ones that had that design problem. But of course, there are a ton of you sneakerheads out there who want to be able to organize and even display your shoe collection in your space. And you needn't be a sneakerhead in order to have this problem. It's just that sneakerhead culture, of course, by proxy means that you guys have a lot of shoes. So to help you guys craft your own shoe organization system, I've brought my client, super sneakerhead, Cyrus Cole onto the show today. Cyrus is the real deal, guys. Not only is he a sneaker fanatic, he is a Portland-based graphic designer who landed his dream job designing in-house for Nike basketball apparel. Very cool stuff, right? Cyrus is the lucky guy that's tasked with creating the Nike-licensed uniforms for the NBA, the NCAA, and the WNBA teams. He's also recently started his boutique graphic design studio, Calm Cool Creative. Needless to say, Cyrus knows his shit when it comes to shoe collecting. And I have to say it was a blast working with him on his hustler consult and his design action plan. We got to do so many fun things in his space, which we're not even going into today because we don't have the time for it. But you're going to hear today all about Cyrus's journey to Nike and just how he landed that dream role. And all of this, guys, with a little help and accountability from his friends. So guys, take notes today. We're also showing you how Cyrus and I tackled his new shoe organization display, which naturally called upon his love of retail experience design. So his shoe collection display, his new shoe organization display, not only is now functional and organized, but it's beautifully center stage in his space. Be sure to hit up the show notes this week for before and after photos of Cyrus's shoe organization systems. It's night and day, guys. It really is. So just head to atelierreed.com slash 25 because this is episode 25 and you can see those before and after photos there. And it's going to make a whole lot more sense when you follow along with the episode. All right, gang, are you ready for this? Let's crack on speaking with my client, the one, the only Cyrus Coleman. Cyrus, welcome to Arrived. Thank you so very much for coming on to the show today. Thank you for having me. 
Happy to be here. We just finished up the Hustler Consult, which was so much fun. I had so much fun working with you. I have to say that your space looks fantastic. It really does. One of the things I know that we're going to um, chat about with listeners today and one of the things that you were tackling in your own space is shoe organization. And I think a lot of guys out there are trying to figure out what to do with all their shoes and who might equally be sneakerheads like you as well. I think you told me when we were doing the consult that you have over 60 pair of sneakers. Is that right? Yes. And not a lot considering most sneakerheads out there, but I have a very modest uh, sneaker collection compared to the real OGs out there. But yeah, it's quite a bit. <laughs> 60 <laughs> pair. I feel like, well, just okay. For anyone who's maybe not quite a sneakerhead, like what would maybe a more traditional sneak, like what kind of volume are we talking here for like true OG sneakerheads? Well, like some people get crazy and have like rooms full, like hundreds and hundreds of pairs of shoes, like which is respectable if that's what you're into. <laughs> but most people <laughs> see my shoe collection and think, why, how do you have so many shoes? I'm like, Dude, it's like, it's not that crazy. <laughs> but working for Nike kind of helps add to your collection. It's an ever-evolving, rotating, conscious effort. Well, so let's talk about this. How did you become such a sneakerhead? What's that story? How did you get so passionate about sneakers and collection? Well, I think like a lot of people, for me specifically, you know, growing up playing sports, basketball, being one of my favorite sports as a, as a kid, um, and just looking up to all the greats in the 90s, like obviously Michael Jordan, David Robinson. I'm from Austin, Texas. So the Spurs were big in my life. And, you know, just the impact that that whole culture has and the nostalgia and like the feeling that you get when you're wearing like a, a good pair of sneakers and, and you see people walking by and they look down at your feet. It's kind of like a gratifying feeling. And it's something that I wasn't able to really like dive into as a kid, right? Like I didn't have the income to like buy my own shoes. Like had to be very conscious uh, what mom says goes like you can't have this you can't have that so like now that i have my my own money and i can make my own decisions you kind of like splurge on what you aren't able to capture back at that time so i think that's what a lot of people like about sneakers is like that feeling that it reminds them of i like this that sense of nostalgia on a, on, on a level and and really kind of almost like becoming your own man, right? Being able to make your own financial decisions and splurge on the things that you want to treat yourself to. Admittedly, I'm not a sneakerhead. I don't know much about sneaker culture, but I would love to know what was that first pair of sneakers that you invested in that you were like, these are these are really special. Maybe I don't wear them a lot or maybe you just bought them as a collector's piece. What was that first pair? For me, it was the Jordan 3 classic like a lot of people's favorite shoe tinker hatfield designed it it was his first shoe that he designed of many for jordan and before i got to nike like i even i had my cousin she bought the pair for me and it was really special it was like something that i really wanted and i knew like all right this is going to start it off so that's kind of where i started so you mentioned of course that you do work for nike basketball which i think is pretty amazing nike is putting out some of the best shoes in the world, the best graphic design in the world. And I know that you, you're a graphic designer for Nike basketball. Is that right? Yes. I work for Nike basketball apparel specifically, and I, I'm fortunate enough to be on the, the uniform design team. So 
that means I basically get to design and concept and collaborate with NBA teams on their uniforms, NCAA teams, WNBA teams on the license side of things. So it's definitely a dream job. I feel super blessed and fortunate to be able to work with such amazing people to work on such amazing product that is going to like, you know, cement itself in history and give the next generation that nostalgia that we all look back to from the 90s and, and what that was for me. It's really awesome to be able to be a part of something like that. How does someone land a dream job like that working for Nike basketball? And I know um, in our past discussions, it's come from a lot of hard work and discipline. So let's tell the listeners about your journey um, to Nike. What's that story? I'll start from the beginning. Just as a, a kid, my mom grew up with her uh, single mom. My dad was in my life, but uh, not very present. He was a musician. He was actually the drummer for B.B. King, which is kind of crazy in itself. So <laughs> that's, that's a big one. Did you hear that, guys? <laughs> I grew up with my dad in my life, but he was always on tour. Like B.B. was one of the most prolific like tours. And they there was a year that I think they only took off like 30 days the whole year. But so I would always see him when he was in town and like be a lot of phone, like happy birthdays and stuff like that. But um, so it was never like a bad relationship. It was just like agreed that it'd be a ridiculous like to try and like get married and do the whole like traditional uh, situation. So I always had like a creative influence in my life with my dad and like knowing what he did and uh, the amazing history of B.B. King and how my dad's tied into that is awesome. And so I was always encouraged to to be creative. I wanted to follow in his footsteps originally and like be a drummer and do that whole thing. But my mom was not about to have me bang on drums all day, driving her crazy. So <laughs> I stuck to the, the quieter, the quieter creative outlet of drawing. I just always was pushing myself, the discipline and the, the team values that I learned in like sports growing up kind of pushed me to to kind of always be sharpening my my sword, so to speak. So that mixture of things that kind of led me to UNT, University of North Texas, where I, I studied communication design. By the time I got to college, I was thinking, all right, I've got to go to a D1 school and play football or I got to fall back on this drawing thing. I'll say for anyone who doesn't know what D1 is, that would be division one sports, right? So it's basically division one is obviously it's the best division, right? It's the it's like the top. You're at the top of your game. Yeah. It's like all the colleges that you know about in the sports world, right? Like I'm not a big guy, you know, but at my high school, I was like playing the big guy positions because I was relatively big. So on the actual scheme of things, when it came down to it, I, I was not a highly sought after prospect. So I realized like, all right, I'm not going to go to the D2 or the junior college and struggle through that to not even go to the NFL or whatever. So I'm going to go to an actual like art school. And then if I can do the sports on the secondary side, cool. They tell you up front, like this is going to be one of the hardest things you have to do. Uh, you're not going to have a life. You're going to be drawing thumbnails till like 3 a.m. in the morning. And like everyone's like, ah, I don't know about that, but. It's true. And it caught up to me, especially trying to maintain the, the college lifestyle, going out, partying, having friends and doing normal things. Doing both took a, a tax on my body and I 
was sleep deprived. Ended up having a car accident on my way home for Thanksgiving. That moment kind of made me realize I need to like slow down and really get my life back together. Like I had some anxiety that came out of that uh, concussion. It was kind of a, a very traumatic event for me. So imagine like you're just driving down the highway and then you wake up in the hospital. It was, it was really intense. There's a lot of other extenuating circumstances too, but the short of it is I was just really like overworked, exhausted. So I realized, all right, I just need to take a full year. I'm gonna go home. I'm just gonna not be in school. I'm gonna get a little job at the, the apparel store down the street. Um, I'm gonna get an internship and just kind of like a design internship, stay sharp. So from that realizing like, man, I really need to take a step back, reevaluate my goals, my priorities, I reached out to some friends of mine, some really close friends of mine, Carson Goldsmith, Walker Henshaw, shout out. I reached out to them and I was just like, yo guys, like I'm in the lowest point of my life right now. I just, I'm a dropped out of college. I need like some accountability. I need to like vent to y'all. I need to get some goals in place to be pointed towards so that I can get out of this pit. I had a weekly call with them. Still to this day, this was like 2014. We still stay in touch. At first, it was just like, I want to get back to school. I want to graduate. I want to get a great internship or whatever it is to lead into a great job. Set all these goals in place. And then you have this like big macro scale. And then you have the little micro goals to like achieve and chip away. That's what we still to this day will call each other and like check in and be like, all right, I'm here. I want to get there. This week, I'm going to do this to get there. And whatever your professional career goals are, whatever your recreational life goals are, your financial, like put it all in a melting pot and pull from like what works for others, resources, ideas. It's one of those things like, you know, the the modern adults of this generation, I guess, I don't know how it was for others, but you go through like all of your schooling, you don't even know like how to handle actual life. It's so true. Yes. No one teaches you how to be accountable potentially other than, you know, you have a critique or you have a final or you have an exam or you have a paper that's due, but no one really teaches you how to step-by-step achieve those micro goals, like you say, to get to the the larger macro goals, whether it's success um, as a professional baseball player or getting one of the top spots at Nike basketball, doing amazing creative work there. I don't feel like you're right. We're really taught this level of accountability in school. So I think this is really incredible that one, you contacted two friends and you reached out for help. And I think a lot of men would feel like even though these guys are great friends that maybe they couldn't have that level of conversation with close friends. Did you have to get over any sense of internal bravado to reach out? Or were you just at a point where you were thinking like, look, I need to make this happen. I know that college isn't where I need to be right now, but I need to keep on my game. And so I need this level of accountability. Yeah. I mean, there was some of that. I actually like after coming out of that accident, you know, I was kind of struggling and I was doing therapy. A lot of these tools I kind of learned in, in that instead of like having these weird, awkward therapy sessions with strangers that I didn't know I was like not feeling any benefit from. I was like, I have some friends, like some actual legit friends that have my back. I feel like I could share with them and just be like, hey, guys, they've already like kind of told me like, hey, whatever you need, let me know. I'm happy to help. You know what, guys, like I'm trying to like 
get back on track. I just kind of want to have a conversation, a dialogue open with you just to kind of like hold me accountable to the goals that I want to set. Cause there's so many times where like we set whatever goals and we don't tell anybody. And then if you don't do it, it's kind of like, there's nothing there to hold you accountable. And you're like, eh, you know, it kind of fizzles out. So I just wanted to have something like someone to witness like, all right, yeah, Cyrus is doing this and that and he's on track. They saw what I was doing and they were inspired and wanted to be a part too. They're like, shit, I got stuff I want to go towards too. So let's do it together, hold each other accountable. I'll, I'll join you along for the ride and we'll see where we get. All right. So so firstly, you you called a friend. You said that you wanted this accountability. You guys met either on Skype or maybe it was just a phone call and you've been doing this for years. How do you guys keep each other accountable? Like what are the consequences, Cyrus, if you don't either hit a goal or you don't show up? We kind of have developed these little like pockets of our goals. All right. I got my personal life, my career, my fitness, my finance. And then we kind of set digestible amount of goals to like get after. We prioritize one from each category and we'll say, all right, this is the goal. It's going to be the one that I have a risk evaluation to. So like if I don't achieve this goal, there's going to be a, a disciplinary action that we all agree upon. And it could be something silly. For instance, Carson just uh, <laughs> put him on blast a little bit. He didn't achieve one of his high priority goals. So the thing we all agreed to was if you don't, you got to go to a public park and you got to like fight a tree for like five minutes, like shadow box a tree, like a crazy person. And people are going to look at you and like think you're wilding out. Like, who is this dude in the park fighting a tree like the, the wild man? And uh, it's, it's something like you don't want to do, but it's also like we're trying to figure out things that get us out of our comfort zone so that we can like grow doing something as silly like that and just knowing in your your spirit that no i'm actually a normal person we used to do a thing where it's like all right if i don't achieve this goal i'm gonna have to donate money to like an organization that i don't agree with something you don't want to do for carson it was he was going to donate to ou <laughs> We're from Austin, so like Texas OU is a big rivalry. That's an example of something in the past we've done. It's basically like a bet, right? Whoever loses first has to do this silly thing that nobody wants to do. And it's like supposed to be a negative reinforcement in a positive way. Yes, they're not like humiliating. They're a bit silly, but they're not something where it's actually going to cause any type of psychological damage as it were. The other thing that you mentioned, too, is that these goals that you're setting presumably are getting you out of the comfort zone. And I would imagine that, for example, if you had said, oh, I have a goal to make X amount of money this year and you got like 90 percent of the way to your goal, that's probably still a win. It's more about proving that you've shown up and you've made an honest effort to get out of your comfort zone to make something happen in your life. But if you don't hit it 100 percent, I would imagine that the uh, the consequences, quote unquote, maybe wouldn't always be enforced. Right. We too had to learn how to set proper goals because at first we're like, yo, I want to like lose 30 pounds of fat, be shredded. <laughs> okay, well, what's the steps to get there? What are the measurable goals you can actually set instead of being like, oh yeah, I want to run faster, jump higher. Where are you at right now? You can run a mile in 10 minutes. So start running and recording 
and getting that data, see what kind of increments of improvement are actually achievable so that it can help inform the goal. So yeah, like a big one, like I want to work at Nike. That's a huge goal. How do you get there? First, I got to get back to college. I got to get my degree. I got to get some experience. So I need an internship or a, a graphic design job or something. Then it was like, well, Nike's in Beaverton, Oregon. I guess I got to move to Portland. So I got to find a job out there or potentially get a job with Nike. So fortunately, I had a nice little infrastructure out here of some friends. My dad actually lives in Tigard, Oregon. My friend was like, yo, like you should just come up here, stay with me and just job hunt. My professor was even too, like asking me where I wanted to work. And I told him Nike and he gave me a list of like all the alumni from our program that was in Portland including some that worked at Nike. So I had a little like network to reach out to. It was something that was actually like manageable. I went to places that I knew I wasn't going to work and that wasn't able to hire me just to show my face and be like, hey, I'm trying to get a job out of here. And they would have like information for me like, oh, you should check out this spot or this person. And um, just that actual like skill of networking and like getting your face in front of people and having conversations. I was kind of training for this. Right. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, totally. Like you're building the skills to actually like in, in little increments, little bite-sized increments to actually like get the appetite for that big dessert that you're trying to like get at the end of all of it. What's what's amazing about it to me is like you can manifest a lot. If you are actually intent on achieving something, it's actually more attainable than you give yourself credit. And a lot of people don't put in the work to actually try. It's something that's in their mind or something that they have like in their imagination of like, oh, maybe one day it will just work out. If you put in the little bits of work, the stars kind of align. At least in my experience, I feel very fortunate but and, and lucky and blessed and all that. But there's a lot of work on the back end that like put me in place. They say luck is uh, uh, just when like opportunity meets preparation. So I was prepared and there was opportunities in place. The fact that I got to be there in, in the right place, the right time, I ended up getting in front of some people that worked in Nike basketball to just like look at my portfolio. It went about as well as I could have hoped. They were like, love your work. Uh, if for whatever reason, it doesn't work out here. Like with us, we'll, we definitely want to have you on, on the Nike campus, on the Nike team somewhere. We'll find something for you. And I was like, win. Dope. I'm in. Got it was over the moon. Yeah. So then my uh, boss now gave me the news in person, like, yo, like, we're going to ride with you. It was just like a dream. I, I get to live it every day. And I pinch myself every day. Had I in my own mind been on track of where I thought I was supposed to be, right? Like, had I got in into the program my freshman year, had I actually taken four years like you're supposed to, or whatever, I would have been there too soon. Who knows if I would have gotten there when they were in need of uh, basketball apparel designers because they hadn't signed the, that uh, NBA contract yet. That was kind of happening when I came on. So like the timing of everything, it just kind of all accumulated and like came together just the way it was supposed to in a roundabout way. I had to go through a lot of turmoil and ups and downs and like figure it out and stay on track with that end goal in mind and it worked out and so i try and apply that to everything in my life whether it's like i need a 401k like i'm just gonna like figure that out 
what is that? What does that mean? And that's what's great about these podcasts and stuff like that is everyone's trying to figure it out. And there's so many resources. It's it's pretty amazing what uh, the collective mind can achieve, you know? So I try and like tap into that as much as I can. Well, and I love that you're applying this to other areas of your life now too, right? So like you say, you can, if you figured out how to get to Nike, you can figure out your 401k. And if you don't feel like you can figure it out on your own, you've set up this support system through your accountability group where you guys can figure it out together. Or you have, like you say, these collective resources, whether they're podcasts or you're listening to other people's stories, which is why, you know, again, I wanted to have you on the show today because I think your story really can illustrate to the guys out there that, yes, you guys can make these things happen. It might not always be uh, down the path that you have intended or you thought it was going to work out. And certainly now uh, with this pandemic, I think everyone's plans are a bit up in the air. It just goes to show that if you stay focused and you keep up that goal and you take these little micro steps every day that you can achieve what you want to achieve. I love your story of of how you got to Nike and how resilient you've been and um, I also even think, too, that having a, you know, I'm sure your your mother was a wonderful role model, but I also was thinking, too, I mean, your father didn't get to be the drummer for B.B. King without a ton of micro steps along the way, right? So, I mean, he was showing up every single day and being the best musician that he could be until, you know, those collective stars aligned and he met B.B. and suddenly now these things were happening for him professionally. So I think that's a really interesting story, too. So... I want to talk about your space. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk about the shoe organization. Because like we were saying earlier, so many guys have a lot of shoes. And I think they're really quite confused or can be quite confused on how should they store them? How should they display them? Where should they display them? So how were you displaying your shoes before? What was that setup? Obviously, shoes are a big part of my setup. So I had this like industrial black metal one of those like wireframe metal shells. It was great. Like when I first got it, I had my shoes out of the boxes and on the shelves. And then after I had moved a couple times, I wanted to fit more shoes on it. So I kept them in the boxes so that I could stack the shoes. And I kind of liked that because it was like, I'm a freak and I like color coordinate everything. So I would like have all the red boxes on this shelf. I had all the like black boxes on this shelf and like that type of thing. And then the problem with that was it was hard to like memorize where certain shoes are. You don't have them at a glance to be like, oh yeah, that'll go with this. Like you kind of got to have in your mind knowing what you want to wear. And I would forget about shoes. I like, oh crap, forgot about this box. What's in here? The challenge was this shelf does not look great. <laughs> it's more functional than it is like aesthetically pleasing. At the time I thought it was great, but you know, in the new space, it's a lot more light. It's a lot more airy, uh, a lot more white space. So I was like, I need to like play into that. We talked extensively about hmm, what kind of shelves can you do? Like, where do you want to keep them? Do you want them to be in the living room? Do you want it to be something that like people that come over? It's like one of the first things they see. It's like your, your shining glory. And I was kind of like, yeah, but I, I don't want it to be a big expense. It should be functional. I wasn't sure if I wanted to keep the boxes or not. Like I'm. I'm a weird like graphic design like collector type so the boxes to me were like something I was like oh man I can't get rid of the boxes but I would imagine that from a collection standpoint 
too, that at least some of the shoes that you own, you probably have to keep the boxes to keep some of their original value. That's true with a lot of like shoes. Um, certain boxes are like really special and like custom and the, the, the packaging is, is part of the experience. And that's part of why collectors like shoes too, is like, oh man, this box is really unique. It's got this plastic like sleeve with a custom graphic and you take it out and it's like, ah. you know, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> certain boxes, yeah, I'm gonna keep. So what I ended up deciding to do is like, I just got these like Kia black shelves. They're floating shelves, they're white. They almost like, the way that I put them right next to the closet, they almost look like they're just like a part of the apartment already. It's like at the foot of my bed, right next to the closet. Really awesome to see like how it can attach to that closet experience. Cause I'm like really particular about how that space was gonna function. I was like, man, I want this closet to actually like look nice. Cause I'm gonna have these doors open. So I need to be able to like organize in there and like almost make it like retail experience. Like I want to be like seeing all my clothes, like not hidden in drawers and I wanted to be on display like if I was shopping in my favorite like store. Yes, exactly. That's what it strikes me as too. That's that's part of like what the collector experience is too, is like actually like getting out and like finding these things and digging through a, a mess of teas in like a, a vintage store or like whatever it is. Going into a really high-end store and like seeing, man, I really like that shelf and how they have all these teas laid out. Like I kind of wanted my closet to like be like that since the slide there's like three sliding doors on the closet too but they weren't on three tracks so i always had to have two doors it was just like a really weird thing so i actually took a door off off the hinges i put it in the closet i put a shelf in front of it that way i kind of like have enough space to have a shelf in there and like i put stuff in boxes on the shelf so it's not like just a mess of like clothes got all matching hangers having that neatness next to this other like immaculately neat shelving system all my shoes in color order from light to dark oh wow that's nice to look at and i can see all my shoes that go with whatever clothes i'm looking at too so what i'll do guys is i will link to these specific images that show his amazing shoe organization because i think you're right cyrus it really does feel like an extension now of the closet which i know that you've worked very hard to set up which as you mentioned wasn't very functional when i think you first moved in and now you've made it a really functional and really aesthetically pleasing space too um, but this shoe organization you're right it functions as a display and it feels very much like a retail experience. I, I, I feel like if I didn't know better and if the shot was like zoomed in a little bit more, I might actually think that I was at, uh, you know, like an, it could be a Nike store, right? Because you have these beautiful lack shelves from Ikea, which aren't necessarily super expensive shelves, but they're highly functional. And um, I know that you've got your shoes just lined up and they're color coordinated. Just seeing that before and after shot and I'll, I'll put the... Um, the before shot as well in the show notes, if you don't mind, just so guys can see the difference of your shoe organization now. I mean, it's like night and day. It feels like you said too, it feels like it's really part of the whole experience of your space. So I'm, I have to say, I'm really happy with 
the direction that you decided to go. And I know that we examined a number of different options. And ultimately, I, I like to make that decision, you know, on you because you had such, I think, a vision for it already, but you just didn't quite know how to get there. So I I was really flipping through Instagram that night. I was like, oh, this is so fun to see. This is really exciting to see how it's all come together for you. What advice might you offer other sneakerheads out there who, like pretty much all of us, right? We have the spaces at somewhat of a premium and shoes do take up a lot of storage space. How might they consider approaching shoe organization in their own space? For sneakerheads in particular, the shoe is art. Putting that on display for everyone to see is ideal. That's why you have these shoes. Like you collect them because you love them. You like how they look, you like how they make you feel. So why not give them proper love and care and space to shine, right? So that's what I ultimately like had to realize, all right, just get rid of all these boxes, throw them away. That was a big part of, of my decision to get the shelves that I did because they're, they're white, they kind of blend into the wall and kind of feel invisible. So it's like, they, it gives the shoes the, the proper like breathing space to kind of like be their own thing and not look out of place. The functionality of it too, being in the bedroom next to the closet was important to me because I hate getting dressed in different rooms. I've had closets that don't fit my shoes. So I had to like put my shoes in my living room. You get dressed and you got to walk over to the wall in the, the living room and like figure out, it's like, well, I got a mirror right next to this. I can just like grab, go and I'm good. That's a really important point too, is how can you think about keeping your shoe collection or how might you think about keeping your shoe collection integrated with the rest of your clothing, even if it's not literally in your closet, doing what you did and keeping, displaying it sort of nearby so that it all feels like everything is integrated into one space and you're not moving all around your home to just to get dressed in the morning. And like even also knowing, okay, I'm gonna have some boxes. Um, it just worked out great that I had enough space under the shelves to like stack the boxes that I decided to keep and they don't feel out of place and I can see them and it's all my really high-end babies that I, I, I wanna keep in good condition so they're not collecting dust, <laughs> but they get brought out on special occasions and I can see them all right there. At the end of the day, it's like, that's what it's about. So having them have their own space and having it feel like special and unique is awesome. How long are the shelves and how many did you wind up purchasing? I was able to find this, these uh, lack shelves and they're six feet wide and they're about 12 inches deep. So I only had to get five. So I, I spaced them out basically 12 inches apart too, vertically. It just ended up working out great. I put the mirror next to it. I have a little like chair that I can like sit and put the shoes on and then stand up, check the fit and then roll out. Now that we've worked together and you've got the shoe organization sorted out and you've, you know, I know that we came up with a whole action plan for you, which we don't unfortunately have time to, to chat all about today, but how do you now feel um, in your space uh, when you're when you're at home, how does it now feel to come home to it or to be at home face now that you've set everything up the way that you want after our working together? Yeah, I mean, it feels amazing. That space that we walk into when you enter my place, um, we were kind of chatting in our last consult, like 
I was thinking about the finishing touches. Like I wanted to have everything in place before I put any art on the walls. I want to have a game plan for that too, right? Like I don't want to like put this big art piece up and then I find a different like functional use for that space and I have to move it. I wanted to limit the holes I put in the wall. But so I'm tackling that part now. One thing that's great about like coming into my place now with that little nook, we were kind of like chatting and I was like, you know, what could be cool. Like maybe is like, that's something where, you know, I walk in, I walk out. The first and last thing I see is like something that reminds me of where I'm at, where I'm going, like a reminder of this amazing opportunity. I, I get to work at Nike and I, I should just like hang a jersey there. It would fit perfectly in this little like space. I could rotate it out. Like since I'm continuing to design stuff and stuff comes out, whatever the latest and greatest it can be right there. It's just like a really awesome, impactful reminder. Of, yeah, this is what it's about. Like, this is a dream. Keep it alive. It's just something inspiring and something that as soon as you walk in my place, it's going to be one of the first things you see. It could be a conversational starter or whatever. I wasn't sure what to do with that little space. It's, so it's really serendipitous that it just kind of worked out. Like, you know, like, why don't you just hang a jersey there? That'd be awesome. And uh, so that's cool. I know that was one of the challenges that we were tackling is how do we make something out of this little nook that, is otherwise just very functional, but doesn't really do much. It was kind of a, a blah space. And what you've now done is you've, like you said, you put this jersey up and now it becomes this little moment every time you walk, every time you walk into your space, uh, you're greeted by this and it's almost its own little art gallery uh, in this little moment in your foyer. It's kind of like a, like a shrine in a way. Right. Like <laughs> an homage right. to like this craft I get to be a part of. What was the best part of the consult for you and getting from that point of when you moved into uh, to now where you're at in the space? Well, first and foremost, it's always great to be able to bounce ideas off of somebody else, especially somebody of your expertise who has like a plethora of knowledge that I may not, to be able to lean on that and be open to the suggestions. Have you like be able to send me actual links of like, oh, this is something that I think would work great oh man, that is awesome. It does look great. And then kind of picking and choosing like, okay, what can I actually like get or what can I find that's similar of these things, which do I want to prioritize as like the big bang for my buck. Having those options on display was uh, an awesome tool. And I really appreciate you and everything you're able to like help me achieve from actually being able to visually reference things, especially being a creative like visual myself. So I really rely on like having that that image to look at you can imagine things all day or like here and like oh follow up and try and follow links but the way that you were able to actually like digest our conversation and like refer to these suggestions and have them like organized in a way that was easily digestible was really awesome amazing Amazing. Yeah. Well, it was so fun to to work with you on this. And it, you had so much vision for what you wanted. You just needed a little bit of guidance to actually figure out how do I implement this in my space? And I, I think it's I think it's um, no matter who you are, where you where you live, I, I sometimes joke that like I need an interior designer because it's really hard to sometimes sort out our own homes because we're in them so frequently that it becomes like a forest through the trees aspect. So it was a lot of fun to work with you on this and um, just to see how amazing your space looks in such short amount of time. And that was on you, of course, because you just really hustled everything to get it ready. Um, but I definitely want to put some images in the show notes for guys so that they can 
you know, be equally motivated by all of your hard work. Cyrus, this has been so much fun chatting with you today. If listeners want to learn more about you and check out your work, where can they find you? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously I'm on Instagram. Personal account is just at Cyrus Coleman, um, but I have a creative account called Calm Cool Creative at Calm Cool Creative. And that's kind of where I just do like some fun illustrations and kind of keep it loose. If you want to see kind of like my aesthetic or like what I'm into, like those are great resources. Feel free to reach out too. Like I'm always happy to collab on stuff. You can also find Cyrus at calmcoolcreative.com. I'm going to put all that in the show notes. Finally, Cyrus, what is one thing that the guys out there can do to come home knowing they've arrived? For me, organization is key. I am very particular about where things are, where things go. I think having everything in the place that it's supposed to be is like one of the things that is very underrated. So if you can come to your space and like everything's right in order, you know, you don't have to like come home to a mess. Your bed's made, your shoes are in their place, your kitchen's in order. Like it just feels great to come home to like a zinned out zone, right? So however that works for you, everyone has a different amount of stuff and different things, but they all should have like a home, so to say, in your space. And I think the more that you can keep that organized, the, the more you'll benefit from not having to like put mind space towards that mess. It's so true. I feel like I keep coming back to this as well. So I'm really glad that you brought this up today. Just having a calm, zend out space because it's tidy and it's organized. Um, whether you're coming home or whether you're staying at home for some time really helps out. So I think that's a wonderful arrived tip. Cyrus, thank you so much for coming onto the show today. It's been really fun to chat with you about you know, all the sneakerhead culture and shoe organization and your story is so incredible. So thank you so much for sharing it with the listeners today. I think you've really inspired a lot of guys out there to maybe create their own accountability groups and to just really keep fighting for their goals and just take little steps day by day. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Arrived. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast and your space is feeling a little more like a crash pad than a home, not to worry. I'm here for you, gents. Join me over at atelierreed.com slash arrived to work with me one-to-one on a design action plan to help you bring your A-game home. That's A-T-E-L-I-E-R-W-R-E-D-E dot com slash arrived. So what are you waiting for? Let's do this. I'll see you next time, guys. Have a great week. Oh, 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 oh